Welcome to FMRPG, the podcast that doesn't care if you like inputs, outputs, both or none, as long as we can run the edge and fight the corpse. We can all be chooms. I'm Richie Buzzkill, and tonight I have Alan Barr with me to talk about one of my favorite genres, cyberpunk. How are you doing, Alan Barr? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Richie Buzzkill? Uh, caffeine has kicked in. I got the pink light on, so if you're on the not you're just listening to this audio we look fucking fantastic is cyberpunks alan has got some amazing uh glasses on there and uh and a little uh hat it's uh we look like full-on punks you should check out the youtube sometime because that's what this will be uh yeah man like what well i'm gonna i'm gonna follow the format because i have been playing a cyberpunk game but just not on the tabletop recently so how yeah, about yeah, yeah. How about how, what have you been playing, Alan? I know this is a long list, so we can get into it. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so we've been playing Outcast Silver Raiders. Uh, the OSR. OSR <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, we've been doing Omega Dungeon. That's been a lot of fun. Nice. We've been doing play tests. Been doing my usual war gaming shenanigans. Uh, you know, uh, the same old, same old, right? Like I play war games. I play. The, Power five RPGs a week. We're just spinning up a Vampire Dark Ages Chronicle. That's gonna be a lot of fun. So, ooh, where where is the Dark Ages Chronicle going? Are you running this? Where is it gonna be? No, I'm actually a player. Uh, this is I. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody in the group's a game designer, and I have not been asked to run yet. So I'm busy like not doing that. Nice, nice. And I'm certainly not going to volunteer myself. Fair enough. My heart dropped when somebody mentioned Tiny Cyberpunk at one point. Like, oh, that looks really cool. Maybe we should play that. And I was like, say no, say no, say no. They were like, no, we already agreed to change. Let's just keep going. I was like, yes. Right. So, yeah. Well, do you know where the, where it's going to be set, when it's going to be set yet? Uh, Constantinople, uh, Istanbul. Nice. Yeah. So, should be good. Should be fun. The fun with the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to have a good time. Yeah, I've I've basically been I spent like 35 40 hours playing Cyberpunk 2077 with the new expansion. <laughs> That's what I've been pl- I I've had to wait because I can't start it until I finish this project. So Ah, the carrot and stick uh uh, yeah. uh Well, I don't want to contaminate my uh like if if it wasn't already based on a tabletop RPG, I'd be like that'll be okay. But because it's, you know, I don't want to pull a full like U-turn, right, and take something that came from an RPG through a video game back necessarily. Well, I mean, that's that's every every piece of media, and we'll oh. get into cyberpunk media has fed yeah, yeah, into yeah. what you're writing, right? So, like, no, absolutely. But you know, I want to be careful. Like, I nothing but respect for Mike Pondsmith and the team over at Artal, you know. And the last thing I want to do is step on their toes because they do fantastic work. So. Yes, they do, and I didn't. I haven't yet picked up the new Danger Girls book, but I, it's on my list of things to pick up. So, I'm, uh, I'm hoping in my, <laughs> I hope in my Secret Santa game exchange, I'm going to end up with it because it was on my list. So nice, nice, yeah. So, but I don't have that problem where I'm contaminating myself for writing something interesting and different. Uh, right. So I've been because I spent like 90 hours when it after probably Ooh. six months it came out the first time I played. Yeah. So this time I've gotten to the point where there's a very difficult choice to make in the game. Mm. And they've set up this choice for a long time. And I can't make that choice yet. 
I just like, and it's in. You the want me to make it for you? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, there's two options. Yeah, there's two options. Yep. Okay. You assign an A to one and a B to the other. Okay. Don't tell uh, me what. They are. Okay. Care. So I got A and B. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm gonna pick B. You got to do that one now. All right. Okay. That's that. That is an interesting choice. Uh, we'll All right, there we'll, we go. we'll see how that makes runs out, and I will. Uh, I will. You uh, finish. you should just let your Patreons vote next time. I, like, I, like I don't know what to do. Boom, Patreon bonus. That's that's true. I will. Uh, I that's next time I get a difficult choice like that. I should post that up. What um, character do I main in my WoW raid tonight, guys? <laughs> well, this Ooh. is this is closer to what we actually <laughs> talk about on this show because it is right. a you know. As you said, it's based on the classic game, so yeah. and it has it bleeding yeah. through its every right. every inch, which is fantastic. Uh, um, yeah. So that's kind of what has been consuming me, and why I haven't uh, posted in a little bit because I, I got uh, distracted no. by running around Night City on a motorcycle. I. It's gorgeous looking game. I have played some of it already, and I'm psyched because of the expansion. But I've had to be like, nope, I have work to do. This is like a Christmas, Thanksgiving break kind of thing. I got to get this stuff done. Yeah. Maybe then I can sit down and just kind of, like, we're not going anywhere for Christmas, my wife and I. So, like, my plan is just to sit down and, like, we're not going anywhere. Nobody's coming over. Just going to grind it out. Like, I'm well, going to do what I want a couple days. And there's probably going to be, like, four foot of snow on the ground. So, you're not that's wanting, true. You don't want to go anywhere when you're in North Dakota in, in the middle of end of December, beginning January. Like, yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so, but as you can tell, we're both big fans of cyberpunk. I wanted to get into talking about cyberpunk in this episode. And then Alan, who has a Kickstarter of a cyberpunk game can, can, uh, plug that and then we can get into a couple uh what i call quick cutting questions about that boom, boom, boom. at the end so let's do it uh but what was your first exposure to cyberpunk like what was oh well um i read uh snow crash at a very young age like maybe early middle school which is which i I freaking love that novel and I know that there's some problems with that novel, but I yeah. freaking love it. And yeah. it was not my first exposure. My first exposure was probably if you count Akira as cyberpunk. Sure. I think I, I'll count that movie when I watched it, when I was 13 as like the thing. And that I'm kind of going off my brain. <laughs> I'm kind of going off what's stuck in my head. Like, right. You know, for all I know, I caught some Ghost in the Shell or Akira on, like, Toonami late at night as a kid, right? Yeah. But no, I mean, I'm sure. Me. So, like, that's the first time it stuck with me. And it was a it was a pretty swift descent after that. You know, uh, read all of read all of Gibson, read all of Stevenson, started getting into the more uh, esoteric, maybe, or less pop culture-oriented cyberpunk novels, maybe we'll say. Right. Uh, you have this, you have this, like, you have this Philip K. Dick, you have this, uh, you know, Stevenson, you have this Gibson, and they're kind of like the holy trinity of literary cyberpunk in a lot of ways. I'm not saying they were the first, I'm not saying they're the most influential necessarily, but they're sort of the most prevalent or well known. Right. Absolutely. Like, I have read uh, all of Gibson's novels, I've read right. all of Stevenson's novels, I've 
read a few they, of Philip K. Dick novels because they are the most right. challenging. <laughs> they are rough, yeah. Not in a bad way, but like just hard to read. Right. Yeah. They're beautiful, um, but they're also really they're they're challenging. But then you have you have the other stuff like Burning Chrome, uh, and a lot of the other you know either precursors or maybe less uh, pop culture prevalent, which makes for me growing up in Bismarck, North Dakota, made them a little harder to find. Right. My access was to whatever my small public library would stock, which was generally, you know, something off the New York Times bestseller list or equivalent, or what I could get at the local Walden Books, right? Right. Well, see, so, it, it was more of a, a a video media for me for a long time mm -hmm. because I couldn't find, I didn't have money to buy those books. So oh, yeah, my local, you know, Library didn't really have them, I guess. They probably yeah. did have some of them. But I grew up in a big family, one working parent. So we were, you know, my recollection is we were uh, not well off. Uh, you know, I don't know how close to the poverty line or whatever we were dancing, but with six kids, I'm sure, and one government salary, I'm sure we weren't uh, riding high above it. No, but, <laughs> that, that sounds like you know, you're just skimming right along right there. But uh, we were, you know, it was, it was for me, it was when I was at the public library or the school library. Like we, we didn't rent movies. I didn't even have a video game console till I was, you know, my first one was Nintendo 64, right? Like, which I would have been 12, 14, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, And like, it was already out of date by the time we got one. Oh, yeah. And so like. We had a Nintendo, we had a Nintendo from a garage sale in like 1994. Right. <laughs> right and so you know my parents didn't really they they loved the fact that i wanted to read so much so they didn't really police what i read mm, as much nice. as maybe they should have right <laughs> um but whereas because there were six kids and i was the oldest if i brought a movie home it got policed because the other uh, siblings could see it. right right yeah, yeah so i didn't really have a lot of chance to expose myself to any visual media but the books yep yeah, that was fair game growing up so yeah because my cousin was uh my cousin was you know, just at that age when VHS, uh, VHS anime started coming into the be more prevalent in the, in the video stores. So he, mm -hmm. he had rented Akira and Ghost in the Shell. And like that just like, and of course I'm, you know, a couple years younger than him. So I'm watching this and going, oh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Like, and I, you know, for me, I hit the, it was Appleseed was my first uh, cyberpunk sort of visual media, probably. And that was in college when I was a freshman. I had a roommate who loved that anime. And you're like, you got to see this Appleseed thing. It's so good. I'm like, what's Appleseed? Right. You know, and It's such an innocuous title for <laughs> what right, it like, is. <laughs> the science fiction, is it like about like a science fiction Johnny Appleseed? Like, what's the dealio here? And then it was spiraling down from Appleseed, Ghost in the Shell, Akira, right, into even more obscure, esoteric stuff, Blade Runner, you know, which which I contend is not truly cyberpunk, obviously, but uh you, you have your you have your spread there. That could be a whole episode discussing all, yeah. whether or not Blade Runner is cyberpunk. I would contend that is the some of the roots of cyberpunk in the fact that the noir uh aspects of that has been like this like feed line through everything after that oh, but le legit no and I, I certainly wouldn't deny that it has an influence at the minimum visually oh absolutely visually is like bedrock like <laughs> it's arguably definitive visually right yeah um but you know 
that noir and punk are at a level in many ways anti antithetical to each other yeah absolutely like, like, they, noir is sort of grim acceptance and desperation whereas punk is active you know aggressive almost revolution or anarchy or you know rejection right they at their core they they feed very different sides of the coin yeah and i guess now we're moving on to the next round of stuff right well <laughs> we yeah I, in. <laughs> I mean it, it was a good segue i mean what is like and, and this is uh mike marines one of the homies on the, yeah, yeah. on the in the discord was like what is so your mike? favorite uh patreon favorite uh favorite cyberpunk media like yeah, and we yeah, mentioned yeah. some of this stuff already i kind of just like dumped my list from something else in yeah. there but yeah so i mean you got the classics right which i adore um for me you know i really love the underappreciated stuff so like uh you know things like altered carbon they're fine right i don't think they're bad but for me like if you if you haven't seen mute i have not uh it's a is a movie on netflix about a mute uh and i i don't i forget what uh, denomination but uh an amish style religious person the rejection of technology for the most part right mm -hmm. in a cyberpunk dystopia and this person he has a bond with goes missing oh nice and so it's this right it's got like paul rudd in it randomly like but it's called mute it, it's like i'm not going to claim as a masterpiece right but it's a very interesting assessment of what cyberpunk looks like for somebody who is on the outside of technology by choice right but also on the outside of connection of the one thing that keeps people grounded in a cyberpunk which is human connection trumping technology in a lot of ways well this person's mute they can't talk so now human connection is also they're the outsider so what does that world suddenly look like to them right and so for me, a lot of the cyberpunk media I really love is the stuff that provokes me to look at it from a different lens. It's easy to find cyberpunk media that's corporations bad, technology sometimes good, sometimes bad, because it comes from corporations, right? Um, you know, we're going to overthrow things, we're going to have revolution, you know, uh, or the or the noir equivalent of desperation and kind of resigned acceptance, maybe, of the situation at hand. Um, and, and that's all great, but that's that's almost like the obvious cyberpunk right like i want to know about the rest of it right there's there is so i mean like we were talking about earlier i think there are two threads in cyberpunk media and that's the right. noir thread and the punk thread right and i think that a lot of media doesn't it, it doesn't quite like a lot of it kind of tries to ride the line like and we have this constant discussion about punk on the discord every time something new called something punk comes up it's like well is that actually punk or are you just like slapping that on the end of your your thing and i think cyberpunk is the somewhat the root of that idea <laughs> because it is sort of at the root of that conflict right right it is the root of that conflict because it's about because it's about using technology to rebel or rebelling against technology right. And and it gets lost as the as you keep photocopying the word punk, it just gets blurrier and blurrier. Well, and I think uh, I like to delineate between cyberpunk and cyber noir, right? For me, um, because I think I'm big on words matter, right? And so 
uh, Cyber Noir is Blade Runner. Cyberpunk would be, you know, something else, right? Um, Johnny Mnemonic, it's Cyberpunk because he's trying to take down the system, right? At the end there, that's kind of the push. Um, and so for me, Noir is what happens when the punks lose. Yeah, no, that that is fair right. because it's like Blade Runner. Like clearly, there was a lot of upheaval in Blade and, Runner. Yes. And now people have just accepted that this is the way things are because they've lost. Because Blade Runner is a wholly different thing than than the actual media that was a, it was based on. Right. Do androids of, of sheep yeah. uh, is a wholly different thing, and remarkable in its own right. Uh, but I think the like, yeah, once the rebellion has has like lost. Because it right. inevitably will lose because someone will betray someone else, which is, I think, one of the crossover uh, between the two threads is the yep. the sudden betrayal. And inevitable betrayal is in both of these things. Like, that's where the Venn yeah, diagram absolutely. is. And um, uh, that, like, that crossover between those, it is the then you get into the cyber noir which is also one of my favorite genres like don't get me wrong Adore, yep. like because like one of my favorite I wrote, novels, a whole, I wrote a whole rpg about it crescendo violence is literally a cyber noir rpg where i go on this like one page screen about why it's not cyberpunk so yes that is a fantastic uh fantastic game uh and get i should get that off the shelf um but like 36 streets is that right. kind of like but you know and i i had that conversation with the author but like it is kind of on the edge of both of those things it yep. rears deeply into cyber noir and that's one of my favorite uh recent pieces of cyber punk media cyber noir media kind of thing yeah i uh if i was going to tell somebody to pick up a book i would say read midnight water city which is this fantastic, uh, it's a little more cyber noir at the start, but it gets pretty cyberpunk by the end novel about an underwater sort of dystopian cyberpunk city. And there's a couple of them, there's a series and they're great. Um, and then I would also tell folks, you know, if you haven't watched the black and white remastered edition of Johnny Mnemonic, you are missing out. Well, I haven't watched Johnny Mnemonic since the 90s, so... If you don't watch the original, I mean, I love the original too, but, like, if you can find a copy, I think it's in, like, Blu-ray only, but if you can get a copy of the black and white, Johnny Mnemonic and black and white remaster, it changes everything about that movie. Well, that that's, um, that's great, because, I mean, I like that, actually, you know, it's one of those movies where I actually like it, because it is sort <laughs> of close to the original short story. Yeah! in a way how do you make a short story into a long movie well you're going to have to take some detours from the original source material yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. and that's from i think that's from gibson's burning chrome isn't it or his entry yeah, yeah. so i i love that short story uh collection of all those little short like and it's right. and it's building worlds building a world in in itself that kind of leads you to the sprawl tr trilogy of Neuromancer, yeah. Count Zero, and Mona Lisa Overdrive, like that, like you pick up a, a Gibson novel nowadays, it's a kind of a completely different thing. He's doing a completely different thing than he was in the 80s when he yeah. invented some of these terms that we use, uh, cyberspace and some of these other things. Um, 
Yeah, and technology changes, right? Like I, the the way computers work now is not at all how they work during Neuromancer when he was writing, right? You have these. In in some ways, cyberpunk is a genre that will never be able to keep up with the actual changes in technology. Which is what he says about what he's writing now, which right. is like, if I write it today, yeah, it's 20 minutes in the future, but by the time it's published, it's already that 20 minutes has already passed. Right. So it's almost like, yeah, cyberpunk in some ways becomes a retro future thing yeah. almost immediately, and it's easier to do as a retro future because you have this like right. everything is moving so fast and you can't write ahead unless you write too far ahead and then it becomes transhumanism or some of these other other further afield genres that are somewhat harder right. to get into absolutely i think there's a i think that's one of the things that makes people love cyberpunk so much is that ephemeral i can't quite define or grab it nature of it are we living in a cyberpunk future? Yeah, maybe actually, right? I mean, I will, will by the I time just, we figure out if we are, will we have moved past it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. One way or another, right? Like Well, I mean, you look at all of and this is this is a game that we're we were sort of dancing around earlier. If you look at Cyberpunk 2013, 2020, right. You look at all of the predictions of the timeline to get to 2020, there's a bunch of stuff that comes true. Like it, it yeah. absolutely happens. Now, it's not the same way, and we didn't get some of those technologies. Yeah, we don't have yeah. the neural interface. Yeah, mostly yet. Uh, but there's a bunch of stuff that absolutely becomes true, and it's the world we live in. Yeah. So, like, in a lot of ways, we kind of got the wish version of a cyberpunk future, like kind of the <laughs> shitty like taboo wish version here. So. Okay, so that may be what I call my, because uh, I was writing, at one point I was writing a, a a hack of Cyberpunk Red that was called the Buzzkill hack, and nice. uh, I might have to call it Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk Wish Edition. Because um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it, I do love, you know, because it's low techno, uh, it's high technology, low lifestyle is kind of where that right. game comes from. And it's supposed yep. to be, but it doesn't always succeed. And there's reasons yeah. for that. But like that idea of you're using the toy your little brother was playing with, they got killed in the right. street to hack the Gibson right. in the in the tower of the corp. You know, it's like that exactly. Right. And that's the kind of and that's like, super go, go Yeah. Ahead. Well, that's super important, right? Like I think I think the best cyberpunk media is the one that understands that at its core, a cyberpunk story is a really simple piece of revolutionary or resistance based media, right? Like at the bare minimum, cyberpunk is about being people who don't have the power trying to stick it big ways, little ways, whatever ways, stick it to the people who have the power. Yeah. And, and that, I think that's to me the heart of cyberpunk. If you if you right, if you're not exactly. doing that, and that's one of the, and it is one of the problems in the genre is, and I think there are there's media that covers this really well, right. like RoboCop. Right. He's literally being used by the man. To, right. And, exactly. and then he rebels against the man. It, but a lot right. of people don't see it as that because he is a cop. 
right? That that right. The, that intrinsic nature, well, you know. You know, and that and that's where you get to the argument of is Blade Runner cyberpunk if Deckard is employed by the man, right? He he makes his money, he makes his living sort of oppressing marginalized individuals on the outskirts, right? He is punching down professionally. Yes, that is, he is, and he is, it's only, and you could sort of think that he, he tried to make some decisions that were counter to that, and then they came back right. on him, and then, you right. know. But, the, you know, and, you know, by the end, you know, it, it, for me, when I define cyberpunk, I look at the arc, right? Is Deckard's arc about resistance? Well, the answer is no. Right. Right. Is Deckard's arc about, you know, trying to get some measure of comeuppance against people in power? No, he's he's actually pretty much spends the whole movie sticking it to the oppressed. Yeah. If we're, if we're being... I mean, and, and, the, right. and you sort of, like, nowadays, you sort of... Th- think it's and the, i think the reason that blade runner 2049 went this way is having the android as the main character because you watch right. that you watch blade runner and the androids are sympathetic oh like, yeah yeah Decker's not the hero yeah which is the protagonist right but he's not the hero and, and and that's sort of like that's sort of a, a thread through a lot of uh cyberpunk media as as like they're not, I mean, sometimes people are, they're doing their thing for their own reason, right? It, you look at, like, what uh, Cyberpunk 2013 was based on, which is kind of like the Hardwired novel. It's kind of yeah. like, it. you look yep. at a lot of the stuff in there, like, yeah, he's yeah. just doing things for his own reason. Like, he's not a hero. He's just an asshole. Like, <laughs> Right, and to me, you know, Oh, well, maybe this is a good time to move on to the next segment, sure. right? Like, yeah, yeah. What makes a cyberpunk RPG? Yeah, what what right? what Which... is a cyberpunk RPG? What can we do about, you know, can we can we right. play these characters nowadays, you know? <laughs> well, and so I think I think there's an important thing as a game designer to delineate what the game is supposed to do versus what it can or will do versus how somebody is going to use it right right there are there are three different pillars and axes and much like an author or any artist there is both part of me in the work i create as well as a lot of not me because my job is to create something that everybody can attach to or be transported by right like if it was just alan's reflection of things it would be interesting to me not sure it would be interesting to everybody else right well, I think I think that's like that's the uh the struggle of every writer. Right. Right. Exactly. And and I think making those decisions for yourself. I mean, there is you have obviously cr- found an audience of people that likes your yeah, take absolutely. on things. So, but for yeah. someone that's trying to write from a from a first per, you know, or just writing yeah. a game, uh, uh, uh even an adventure f- to, for their friends right. to play, like you're kind of like someone doing some tailoring yeah. to the audience a little bit. So. No, absolutely. And so, you know, I think I think when we talk about this, you know, so the reason I'm I'm here is, you know, let's just say it, I'm here to talk about Tiny Cyberpunk, my Kickstarter for a Cyberpunk RPG. Like I guess we should have led with that. Go back my Kickstarter, give me your money. Um 
he has an ulterior motive to be here. He's doing uh, what he wants. <laughs> I'm literally. I, I would, I would be here anyway because I like Richie and the FM group. But like, also, I'm plugging my stuff. Buy it. Support right. me. Well, and and we'll get to we'll get to the corporate yeah. shill, the, your your shilling portion yeah. later. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but when I sat down to think about Tiny Cyberpunk, right, I looked at it and said, to me how can I make this game be a toolbox? Because one of the defining features of the tiny D6 genre books is they are toolkits to emulate a genre, right? And to emulate a genre, you have to establish, it doesn't have to be accurate. It doesn't have to be all encompassing, but you have to have a baseline of what that genre means for the game, right? Tiny Cyberpunk's version of Cyberpunk doesn't have to match the widespread definition. It doesn't have to match anybody else's definition but it has to have a consistent definition or the game can't function. They won't know what it wants to do mechanically and narratively. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, a good perspective on when you're designing a game. Cause I find that sometimes these kind of games, because I buy a lot of them don't exactly have like a, cons- they're trying to either do too much or right. of, you know, they don't quite hit a mark that they were aiming for. Uh, absolutely. Right. And that's a big problem. Um, and, you know, for me, my solution is when I start any of these genre books, I try to know what the genre is. Right. I sort of have this firm idea of my touch points for everything in this game are going to point at these things. They don't have to match everybody else's, but they should be consistent and they should be clear. So when people want to either use them or reject them, they know what they're doing. Right. Um, and so for me, when I sat down for Tiny Cyberpunk, I was like, what to me defines a cyberpunk story? And for me, it's, it's like we talked about the difference between cyber noir and cyberpunk. For me, cyber noir is the after effects of being on the losing side of cyberpunk. And so a cyberpunk game by its act for me is active, it's aggressive, it's uh, in the context of the setting generally revolutionary or resistance-based or some sort of maybe not widespread, but uprising-esque thing, right? Cyberpunk is about the have-nots and the haves, with you being in the viewpoint of the have-nots. Right. And and there is, uh, like, when I got this, and look, my favorite cyberpunk game is Cyberpunk 2020. Like, it's just, it's the thing that brought me into the cyberpunk role-playing game world, and I yeah. played a lot of it. So, But when Red came out, and the adventure in Red, the, the starter box was a resistance based like you all live in a building and you this corporation is going to demolish this building what do you do right right that was like a breath of fresh air because one of the the threads that kind of comes through cyberpunk gaming is you sort of end up a lot of times being just mercenaries for the corporations yeah. right which is kind of the opposite of we're back to the deckard problem in blade runner right right in a large sense and so that, and that for me, that was my overriding design perspective um, of how I view sort of the literary or media genre of cyberpunk is about that. And so I wanted to say, look, if you, if you want to do the Blade Runner, if you want to do the thing where you are working for the corp or you are working for that, I mean, of course, you can take the rule set and do that. That's how toolkits work, right? But inherently, the game does not enable that because to me, the genre... It, is, it becomes not that genre if, if that story goes on too long, right? 
if you think about uh things like cyberpunk 2077 you can start as a corpse suit but almost immediately you're burned yeah you're dumped in the street immediately and it and like, it's like 10 minutes into the game like they're just like yeah we screwed you oh we we didn't quite kill you but your everything you had is just now burned to the ground right but we didn't kill you lucky you lucky you you know (laughs) you know so the i think a big theme for me in cyberpunk is that power corrupts and the longer you hold on to power the more you become like the people you took the power from right um and i to that degree i think it's a large it shares a lot in common with uh literary fables about kings and stuff right yeah so and so became the king and they grew corrupted and tyrannical right and and cyberpunk is a lot of that same allegorical power corrupts absolutely not even absolute power cyberpunk is just power corrupts absolutely the smallest modicum of power corrupts right yeah as soon as as you get as soon as you are not on the oppressed side you're going to start moving towards a a way right. to keep that <laughs> to, keep to, to use philosophy it's a very hobbesian take right. on the nature of humanity right very thomas Hobbes would be very happy with cyberpunk he thinks it's he probably thinks it's good um so uh to me the game needs to kind of posit that way and the way you do that is by one engineering the game to work that way but two making sure the mechanics play that way right like if I'm gonna add, like there is currently in the work in progress, but it's gonna come out. There's not gonna be a wealthy trait that you can take to have money, right? That makes sense because that would that would again move you into the yeah. If you like it, you can grab it from a different tiny D6 game, plug it in because toolbox game, right? Won't be hard to engineer, but that's gonna come out, right? Um, you you can there's things about scavenging or grabbing equipment or repurposing equipment. You know there's the there's about hideouts and getting traced and tracked and being on the run to 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 me the best sort of cyberpunk genre plays a lot like andor meets oceans 11 sort of this mix of heist where the team matters everybody's skills matter because you're trying to do something and it can be self-serving because by being self-serving you're also going to stick it to the people who need it stuck to them right or but there's also like this blending of self-serving greed right selfless what what's the term i always like to use uh oh self-serving selflessness right right because you're you're you are gathering for yourself but you're taking from someone who is doing something worse you know right sort of the robin hood-esque mentality if we were to use that right and so for me uh when i sat down to make the game that's kind of the orientation i tried to have to it now, because again, toolkit, you know, you'll see that, but it won't be hard to run whatever you want out of it. But that is, for me, with the key defining element of the cyberpunk is a, like a literary media genre. And yeah. so I wanted to capture that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, your Hobbesian reference, na- uh, life in the world of cyberpunk is nasty, brutal, and short. Like, that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of vibe I'm looking for when I'm looking for a cyberpunk game. Is right. is nasty brutal and short and you're trying to break that loop you're definitely not going to break that loop like that's just right. not how this is going to happen or or if you do the greatest risk is you become corrupted right right yes like, absolutely 
you might break the loop, but now you're the problem and you're and they're going to try to break you next time. Right. Yeah. And, and like when I usually run my campaigns, like I ran a couple cyborg runs like, OK, nice. every everybody is too powerful at this point. Like they had survived long enough after a couple of reboots that they had gotten to the point where they had had too they had too much money. So I was like, I got to end this. So in a more of a story fact storytelling fashion, I'd be like, all right, look, the game, the, the arc is over. You've completed the arc. Now tell me how your character dies. What did, what killed your, what, what did you do in your life that got you killed after the story? Exactly. And I think that's a big trap in RPG spaces, specifically with cyberpunk is a lot of RPGs are based around the acclimation and accumulation of power, be it from, you know, in D and D magic items, levels, spells, hit points, whatever. Right. In, in cyberpunk RPGs, it's gear, it's creds, it's wealth, it's allies. It's that, you know, in vampires generation, it's ghouls domain, all that. Like RPGs are inherently about accumulating mechanical power whatever that looks like in the game you are playing for the most part. And in the cyberpunk genre, that accumulation does tend to run counter to the core ethos of the medium. And so as a RPG designer, there's a need to have a way to address that. Yeah. There should always be a, a, a rock to your scissors. Like, right. Whatever that is, like it's in the older games, it was like, if you had too much armor, if as long as if, if somebody had a, a, a the right blade, they could just cut right through it if they got close enough. Right. Right. That sort of that sort of idea that there should be some way to bring you down. Like and what I what I've done is for tiny cyberpunk, I'm I've added these downtime mechanics where the the corpse do things to you. Oh, I love in that. between missions. So yeah, you might have ran your mission, but now they've, they've traced you. So basically you can choose, yeah, I'm going to spend my downtime accumulating power, right? I'm going to get a new trade. I'm going to, you know, whatever, right? Or spend my downtime doing nothing so the corp can't trace me. I'm just going to lay low. So if I don't lay low, the corp can take a corp action against me. Right. And, and you know, this kind of leads into the next part of this, which is what kind of cyberpunk adventures do you like? to run or or even yeah you know what kind of i i I like the high stakes sort of john woo action heist cyberpunk adventures i think i like i like stuff that starts slow and builds to a really rapid crescendo preferably somebody will jump out of the window on the top floor of a skyscraper at some point like that's kind of key for me and all my cyberpunk things yeah you got to make sure that 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 glass window that you you know yeah you go right gotta blast through it firing your guns right (laughs) right exactly because cyberpunk should be active, it should be aggressive, it should be in your face, it should feel like high throttle, high octane, John Woovian action, right? When push comes to shove, because cyberpunk is about trying to solve uh, systemic issues, corporate greed, uh, whatever, through violent resistance, right? Maybe not physically violent, but you know, technology or socially or culturally or whatever. Right, you are trying to impose the, you know, in in a in anthropology, one of the things they teach you is, uh, you know, there's a difference between resistance and revolution, right? And the difference is aggression and action. 
Right. And and I think that's to me the the thing that I like to see in uh you know in a cyberpunk adventure is like kind of an inciting incident that kind of sets up like some parent you know it's got to have some paranoia involved like this is you're dealing with overwhelming forces like even though cyberpunk and this is one of the things i can see a lot of times is like power power fantasies come into play which is why i think it is as popular as it is as a rpg but part of that gaining of power should be some sort of ethos ethos or or uh uh, some kind of like reason you're doing it because otherwise you would not be forcing your way through that. Right. You, you are, right. you are trying to like, uh, I, you know, like I said, I really, why I really like that adventure of like, you all live in the same place. I mean, this could be in any, this is very much a anti-colonialist, uh, kind of narrative, which is, you know, you all live in the same place and the corporation is coming to destroy you or the country right. is coming to destroy you what do you do right the destruction is almost invariably inevitable <laughs> but you're going to try to stop it or you're going to stop it but there're going to be massive consequences to that stopping it yeah yeah it's uh it's a it's a genre that has a lot of weirdly specific almost like i don't want to say requirements but we it's probably a good word to define it that also don't quite work either like it, it's such a self, almost self-conflicted genre. And I think that's one reason people respond to it. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause like, uh, in, you know, there is this like, and, and it's one of these, it's the trope of the genre is you're playing a corp at this right. point. It's a, it's, or you're playing a cop. Like these are not in the modern world oppressed peoples, right. but You've got to, if you want to, and, and most of the time I'm not, I don't tend to have, I tend to say, yeah, we're, we're not going to play with those, uh, those classes or whatever you want to call them. Right. Roles. And, uh, but if you can give me a good enough seed, you know, like RoboCop, if you can give me RoboCop, like I'm on right. board, but you've got to be like, and this is the you know kind of adventure stuff I want to see. I if you're gonna play something that's against being like, uh, you know, some kind of low uh, lifestyle person, you've got to tell me exactly why, or otherwise I don't I'm I don't want it. I don't. It's not to me part of the genre that I like. Yeah, and you know I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about the genre is everybody has this different take on what makes it work or what it is or a thing right and because the genre itself even if you go back to the original material is so conflicted it's hard to say anybody's right or wrong we're just kind of we're all kind of looking at this uh this genre going I, this is my take on it right this is so-and-so's take on it you know is ours right well maybe it, it, right? it is it, one of the most modern of genres and i'm be, i'm saying modern in the kind of like you're drawing right. a circle around a group uh, uh, and yourself when you do this genre you are drawing the circle because you could like we were talking about earlier there are people that like would absolutely fight you to the death that blade runner is cyberpunk right 
like absolutely I, I would have a hard time saying they're actually wrong right right but you've drawn your circle over here and they've drawn right. their circle over here and it's just whatever media or influences that are the core of your idea of cyberpunk and that's why to me is very modern because it's really your opinion that makes it what it is right. <laughs> it's like modern art well i think this is a beautiful piece of art i think it's utter garbage you're both right. right. <laughs> You're both right. Yeah, it's it's very, and that, I think that's what makes it such an evocative, interesting genre, right? Like more than like fantasy, where I think there's some definitions we can all sort of agree on. Yeah. Or you know, sci-fi, where there's sort of this core understanding of what defines it. Cyberpunk, in a large sense, sort of elude eludes our ability to define it, and I think that's really engaging. And that's why you can. It, it it's both it's a double-edged sword uh right. double-edged mono katana uh and you can come to a it table thinking if that it's you, double-edged it can't be a katana richie they're single-edged blades i need you to get sorry. your fake cyberpunk history right sorry a double-edged uh uh broadsword a mono broadsword fine well, now you just look silly who carries that in a cyberpunk setting i mean that's Okay, look, the whole like Asian uh there there's a whole Asian peril thing that's wrapped up in cyberpunk. I didn't really want to get into because <laughs> we covered that on politics and cyberpunk like 3 years ago. But yeah. it is I think I, I think you know anybody who wants to uh, can experience that discussion by going back to that episode. Yeah. But uh in in some ways you can you can rock up to a table and be like I love cyberpunk. And you sit down and you're like, what the fuck is this? Right. <laughs> now, if it's fantasy, you love fantasy, you run up and you're like, okay, I can kind of, like, there is like this weird, like, yeah. uh, not what you do include as this thing for yourself. Right. right. And I think that's why there are certain, uh, there are certain core keystone things that I think make why certain uh, games and certain adventures right. become the core of of the genre right like literally you're you're you guys are all in a punk band a band of some kind right that is a yeah. core cyberpunk adventure and and like ben was asking about alternate concepts for uh campaigns how do you keep cyberpunk but play it as something other than edge runners and shadow runners can yeah. trauma team campaigns still be cyberpunk or is it cross the line and become wage slaves of the system. And and right. we've been kind of dancing around that somewhat, but like you were all like, you can see the oppression of the system. What are you going to do about that? That is, I, uh, you know, to, to me. And again, this is my personal definition of cyberpunk, you know, uh, you can you can start the story however you want, but the end of Act One needs to be to remain cyberpunk. It needs to become a story about uh, active aggression back against the system, right? You basically get all of Act One to set that up, but Act Two and Three better be about you know throwing a bottle through a window and taking a sledgehammer to something, right? And, and that's the kind of like whatever that campaign right? Whether it's the trauma team, right. like you're going to see and do terrible things at the beginning because you're going to leave somebody right. behind that didn't have, didn't, didn't pay the subscription 
for your service, right? right? There's going to be those like your coworkers are going to get, and there's actually an excellent uh, when uh, Cyberpunk 2077 uh, was first kind of coming out, they were doing comics. And I oh, really, yeah, the Trauma Team comics. The Trauma Team comics is excellent. It's an excellent yeah. comic. And it shows you exactly how you would do a Trauma Team one-shot or campaign, whatever you want to call it. Because right. at first, she's all in. And then it, she has this like terrible experience when she goes into a building. And then right. she is slowly, she's been turned to the other, you know, to fight against even her own trauma team, basically, at the end. Spoilers, but not really. Because it's excellent. You should totally read it. It's it's way better yeah. than what I'm talking about. But I'll vouch for that. But like, even if you're like, you guys are all wage slaves in the cubicle, like you're a, a bunch of net runners for our Osaka or whatever corporation you want to put a name right. on. Like, and you do some fucked up shit. And you're yeah. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, and to me, that's sort of the the thing that you have to... In, in the end, RPGs are the medium where the audience is also the author. And so all I can do is hand you the writing tools and watch what you write, right? So I just have to make sure I hand you the tools to help you tell what I think is going to be the story you want to tell. Right. And I think that like there will be people that will just play like, oh, hey, here's a mission. Go, go do this yeah. mission. Right? right. You know, it, there, you know, it's like if that's your fun, like, cool. It, that's your fun. fun. Uh, but I we we as as deep fans of this genre love the ethos and pathos and, and a lot of the other parts of it that make it more than just like okay this is just tech porn like <laughs> of just like yeah there's a there's a lot that goes into it you know and i mean i think you could have multiple podcasts trying to unpack it and never reach a resolution right absolutely and it, i, I did i didn't contemplate doing another side podcast called 20 minutes into the future i don't have art and or music for that you have to all. call it you have to call it cyberpunk 2020 minutes into the future see you did it all wrong uh okay dad joke checked off and on <laughs> but you're right I, I do what i'm asked to do on the show i i fulfill my role uh you're you're not wrong you're not wrong uh you know that's the i mean like you can just pick any part of the modern world as the start for an alternate campaign campaign concept you're yeah. the you're the you're the bodyguards for a high level corp Right. And they do something fucked up and you're all burned. Right. Go. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would again, always point out like the best place to start is take a heist thing and then, you know, oceans or leverage is a great example of what is basically a cyberpunk thing without any of the tech. Right. Like here's a team of criminals that were used by corporations to accomplish things. And then they got burned by one of the corporations and now they're out to, to get their own back. Right. Aside from the fancy gear, which, you know, they also have a lot of that, but it is, it's only not cyberpunk because it's not set 20 years into the future. Well, I mean, I would argue that if you got a, a hacker 
because hackers were basically invented. I mean, they were they they were here for a lot. You know, there were radio hackers and phone hackers before there were, and I have a whole thing about that. But but hackers were really brought to the mainstream by cyberpunk media before they became headline news. There were hackers in these, you know, in, in this, and it sort of leads into. Uh, Tin Man's question is like, how do you get hacking right in cyberpunk RPGs? Meaning, still useful but not a solo side session. Everyone yeah. drops, you know. How do you? That's that's complicated. Um, and that is one of the things you know. Coming back to Tiny Cyberpunk, I kind of struggled with was how do I distill these inherently complex ideas into a minimalist framework? Because, you know, minimalist is, isn't about cutting everything out. It's about cutting out everything but the essentials, right? And so hacking is essential. So hacking is going to have to be in there. But how do I cut it down enough that it feels essential but not too much? Um, and that's hard. Uh, we bounce on a lot of ideas. One of the big things uh, I ended up doing was that hacking requires either preparation or being on site, right? So as a downtime thing, you can prep and do an offsite. But if you don't, you gotta be on site. And even when you're hacking, hacking takes your normal actions. You don't move into a different state. You don't, you know, jump into the matrix. Um, and the actions you take are specific and they do specific things. So like operate, well, that means you open a door, right? I operate the door. What's the door do when it's operated? It opens, right? Um, stuff like that. And so I sat down and looked at all the pieces that I needed to have to mechanically make it work without overwhelming it and then tried to layer them. Like if if the enemy, instead of you know shooting a guard, if the enemy is the hack, what does that look like? How do I represent, not hit points, but how do I represent that resistance that you have to overcome to accomplish your mission? Yeah. And then how do I turn that into active participation in the combat or the scenario? Right. And my, my solution to this has always been like, okay, so, and this is, this is a pitfall of like almost every classical cyberpunk shadow run. All of these games have this pitfall where you basically build another dungeon that one person plays like, right. And this time at this point, I would almost look at some of the solo games. If you really want to play that kind of like, uh, yeah. Uh, that kind of style of game because I I know there are a lot of those kind of solo cyberpunk games out there. I think I've yeah, yeah. one, but uh, in, in the way I generally think of it is like you're going to be doing skills and doing things just as anybody else is doing. But the right. way that that I'm going to describe it as the game master is I'm going to tell you all these fantastical. It's going to be a your world is going to be vastly weirder looking or right. than than anybody else because you're going to be dealing with this alternate landscape but yeah and you have to be there on on the property like there is no remoting in <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. no remoting in and, unless you can i can fry your and brain <laughs> for me i tried to approach it from if if we're talking about dungeons as the analogy here instead of building them a separate dungeon i say what are the parts of the dungeon only the rogue interacts with Right. Yeah. And Absolutely. and those are the hack. Those are the hacker parts, right? Like the hacker is the rogue. So instead of picking a lock, they're hacking the interface. So how do I represent that? Right. 
And one of the things I did was when you hack something, you have what are called kickbacks. Uh, if you fail the hack roll, these things happen to you, right? And the basic kickback is it boots you out of the system, right? And you have to just kind of start over. But some of the worst ones are things like you uh, you take damage because like you get a feedback current or they trace you and send a team to your location, which means if you're off by yourself as the hacker without any of your teammates with you and you have a bad kickback, well, you could be dead. Right. You're, you are vulnerable in ways that other characters are not. And right. I think that's... So there, there is a benefit to being on site anyway, because if you if you screw up, the, the, the medic can still first aid you, right? Right. They can they can try and keep your your vitals uh, stable right. while you're still vulnerable and like, you know, trying to work your way through the terrible, terrible uh, brain trauma that you're incurring. Um, but I, I think to me, that's the heart of how you do that is you basically just kind of like make sure that everybody's interacting on the same level. Yep. And just uh, and just painting the world in a different color with more interesting words. <laughs> right. And and for me, it's about breaking down the action into discrete moments that you can resolve and move on so everybody gets a turn in the spotlight. Because one of the big problems with some of the older cyberpunk games is they would turn hacking into a mini game that you had to resolve it all at once. You couldn't stop, right? Once we started hacking, I've got to resolve it so we can move forward, right? Right. It's and what I've tried to do is say, I'm going to break these things into chunks so every time we do initiative, right, I can do my chunk, you can do your chunk, and that my hack is part of that, and then I move to the next step, right? Almost a ladder effect. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it it is one of those things where like, okay, so you guys are going to play this game, and then we're going to go get pizza, have pizza and beers, and then come back. Right. Because that's, that's kind of the classic elite. But I, I think just keeping everybody on the same level, I think, is a, is a good answer yeah, to that question. Absolutely. All right, Alan, this is the part where you get to shill your game. Boom. Uh, I'm Alan Barr. I run Galen Night Games. I've got a Kickstarter, Tiny Cyberpunk. It's pretty dope. You should go back in and give me money. Sick. I have already If you like what you... I'm hearing, you're hearing here. So right. if you don't like what you're hearing here, then you probably don't want to back it because you probably don't like it. So I have already backed it. So, you know, I'm already in the bag for this game. One of the reasons we're talking about it. But, you know... I figured we we could talk about the genre and then talk about the game. So, uh, <laughs> so I've got some quick uh, cutting questions about Tiny Cyberpunk. Let's do it. Fire away. It's like, why are you doing a cyberpunk game now? Uh, because there's enough space between the last couple of big cyberpunk game releases that I feel like we have some room to market and grow. Excellent. Excellent answer. Uh, how are you getting the punk into this game? Uh, like I, the game tried to distill the ethos I've already talked about on this podcast into a mechanical chassis. Uh, what are the new systems in this tiny D6 game? Uh, hacking drone operation. Uh, we have modified versions of the vehicle chases from tiny spies. And then there's a new downtime system that involves corporation actions. Uh, why is black and white the perfect choice for the interior of this game? Because it's affordable. Uh, why are the stretch goals overrated? Uh, because they bloat projects and cause projects to be late and cause a lot more stress than they need. And I'm in this to make a living. 
Those are the quick cutting questions. If you have your own quick cutting questions, come on the Discord. Alan will come at yeah. come at you because he is he is one of the fine patrons and Discord uh, members, and he will uh, answer your questions. Also, yeah. anywhere else, Gauntlet Games exists. Alan is there. He is an omnipresent force in the universe. Uh, I should have come up with a better omnipresent AI in the universe. Benevolent. Benevolent. So For far. Now. So far, he's benevolent. Everyone else thinks AIs are... Anyways, uh, speaking of patrons, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have all the patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash fullmetalrpg. I did not charge anybody this month because I didn't get anything out last month. So I'm going to blaze a bunch of uh, stuff in uh in the next week so you can have something to listen to while you're at your uh if you're american you're at your thanksgiving thing you can like put this in your ears and not listen to your uncle say some terrible things uh <laughs> and uh thanks everybody thanks alan have a good night thank you boom boom